0: Hunting is my right as an American. What do you think of that pro-hunting argument? Well, there are many hunters who use that statement, hunting is my right as an American. But what does the Bible have to say? Today we'll be looking at that hunting argument. We'll also be looking at a miracle moose hunt. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Rock Dove Publications Quill. I hope that you enjoy today's program.
1: Has spent decades studying the Bible in the original languages. He holds degrees from the University of Wisconsin, Moody Bible Institute, Asbury Theological Seminary, and Bethel Theological Seminary. With the help of some of his friends, in 1994, Dr. Rako founded a national volunteer ministry to hunters. He is an author, dog trainer, and speaker. Tom served as a full time pastor for 36 years. Now here is your host, Dr. Tom Rico Jack Miner, 1865 to
0: 1944, was known as a pioneer in the banding of ducks and geese in Canada. Nevertheless, he also gave witness to the Lord's supernatural intervention while on a moose hunt. It was November of 1897 when Jack Miner, his brother Ted, and two less experienced woodsmen went on an extended hunt for moose. They had traveled deep into the Canadian wilderness where they set up camp. Early one day, Jack and his brother returned to camp with a backload of moose meat. In the process, they came across tracks in the snow of one of their hunting companions. They observed that their friend had been following a frightened moose. Although this hunter had never been in the woods alone, they reasoned that he would surely know enough to follow his tracks back to camp. But as darkness fell on the snow-covered hills, Jack and his brother knew something was wrong. In his book, Wild Goose Jack, Jack Miner relates, I went into the tent, brought out that big forty five seventy black powder rifle, and, as both of us stood on that lonesome lake, I put the muzzle of the gun in the air and fired. The blaze from the black powder flashed like lightning as it was by then quite dark. I grabbed my hat in one hand and my gun in the other and listened for an answer, only to hear the report of my own rifle echo and re-echo up and down the narrow four-mile lake. There we stood, two anxious brothers fairly holding our breath for a reply, but nothing but the hooting owls greeting our ears. Again, Jack fired another round, and the brothers concluded the shot would have been heard for at least five miles. Their hunting companion was lost in the wilderness. Realizing there was a possibility that it could snow and that, if their friend's tracks filled in, he would never be found, Jack grabbed his lantern and set off in hopes of finding him. Jack relates how after getting on the track of his lost friend, he did not stop to walk. He followed the tracks through swamps and up and down hills, but then it started to snow. Jack stated, I ran harder than ever, my compass in one hand and the lantern in the other. Soon, because of the snow, he could no longer follow the track. He ran over one or two more hills and shouted as loud as he could, but all he heard was his own echo. He recalled, With an aching, troubled heart, I stopped under a big hemlock tree where the snow wasn't falling quite so fast, and there I poured out the whole situation to God Almighty and asked Him for help. Jack recalls, Then, just as I had raised a lantern up to start again, I heard a gun straight south of me in the distance. However, soon Jack began to wonder if it really was a gunshot he had heard. Perhaps it was simply a tree limb that had snapped due to the weight of the snow. After all, the sound came from a totally different direction than he had expected. Jack turned down his lantern to conserve oil and then headed toward what he thought was the gunshot. Each time he came to the top of a hill he would shout, but there was no response. Finally, he decided to run for about another 15 minutes in the same direction. He then stopped and shouted, and to his great relief, he heard a faint answer. He found his friend wet from wading across a river and covered with snow. Jack remembered that with a trembling voice his friend said, Oh, Jack, I am tired out. I was just getting ready to lie down. Then, in the same voice, he said, I shot my last cartridge about an hour ago. With a great deal of verbal encouragement and even a few not-so-encouraging words from Jack, hours of walking, the pair of hunters eventually made it back to the camp. Of course, if this lost, half-frozen hunter had laid down, he may have never woken up. He would likely have become a victim of hypothermia. Now, do you think it was by chance that Jack heard his hunting companion's last shot? Was it a mere coincidence that Jack Minard stopped for silent prayer to ask God for guidance when he heard the shot? Jack Miner certainly recognized God's perfect providential timing in the search for his lost companion. Reflecting back on the events that transpired, he points out that when his friend fired his last cartridge, I was in silent prayer to God Almighty for guidance. Had I been moving, I would never have heard the report as he fired from the valley instead of going to the top of the hill. Hence, the report was so faint. The timing of these events seemed to be pieces of a marvelous, life-saving miracle that took place in a moose hunt more than a hundred years ago. What do you think? Would you consider this a miracle? Well, when we come back, we're going to be looking at the pro-hunting argument hunting is my right as an American. We'll see what the Bible actually has to say about that.
2: Hunting Miracles, ancient and modern, contains true stories of how God has worked in the lives of hunters down through history. This unique work edited by Dr. Tom Rayco contains true stories by nine different contributors. In Hunting Miracles... Readers discover miracles that took place on hunts more than a thousand years ago. See how God has used deer, ducks, geese, and even wood ticks to reveal His power and presence. Be encouraged by how the prayers of desperate hunters have been answered in amazing ways. To order your copy of Hunting Miracles, go to the Rock Dove Publications website at rockdove.com. Again, to get your copy of Hunting Miracles, be sure and visit rockdove.com.
0: We received this message sent to the Rock Dove Publications website. I am not a hunter simply because I don't have the stomach for it, but I support your moral right to hunt. I'm a dedicated Christian, and while I'm not interested in hunting, I am very concerned about the erosion of our Second Amendment rights and the vilification of gun owners, especially Christian gun owners. There are currently those who would, for various reasons, either want to do away with the Second Amendment altogether, or who are attempting to interpret the amendment in such a manner that it ultimately results in the forced disarming of the American public. And it's quite doubtful that there will be any ceasefire soon in this hot battle over firearms. A message sent to me by a concerned 14-year-old helps to reveal just how hot this topic remains. This young man wrote, Why the heck would anyone want to have guns or hunt animals? It's just plain cruel. And guns, their only purpose is to wound and end lives. I just can't wait until I grow up and can finally do something about helping to ban guns and stop hunting. You hunters and pro-gun people make me so upset, I want to scream and make every hunter go to jail. The Second Amendment itself states, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Those who want to limit the scope of the Second Amendment normally desire only small segments of our society, such as law enforcement officials or the military, to legally possess weapons. As Wayne LaPierre of the National Rifle Association accurately explains in his book Guns, Crime, and Freedom A common claim of the anti-gun lobby is that the Founding Fathers never meant that individuals should be armed. They only intended for the Second Amendment to apply to a militia, such as the National Guard. Yet, as LaPierre also clearly points out, such a distorted interpretation violates the repeated usage and documented understanding of the concept rights of the people as it appears in the Fourth, Ninth, and Tenth Amendments. Now, admittedly, some who try to advance the concept of militia may have noble, although somewhat misguided, desires to stop or help prevent unnecessary violence. Unfortunately, these folks far too frequently focus upon limiting personal freedom rather than upon encouraging the faithful enforcement of laws that restrain criminals and the necessity for individuals in our society to assume personal responsibility. Still, there are evidently others in the animal rights movement who are governed by a different motive. Some members of the anti-hunting community see changing the Second Amendment as a means to eventually eradicate the vast majority of hunting altogether. To these individuals, the intended meaning of the Second Amendment is not nearly as important as the goal to try to halt hunting. But animal rights activists are not the only ones guilty of trying to hide behind the Second Amendment. Hunters have also been guilty of supporting the Second Amendment for their own self-centered reasons. Sadly, for these, the Second Amendment is a security blanket that exists for the protection of certain hunting privileges rather than for the security of a free state. As a result, we have some hunters who proudly proclaim, Hunting is my right as an American. Those who rely upon this argument do so by directly tying the issue of hunting to the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Now, there are no doubt important ramifications which deleting or distorting this part of the U.S. Constitution would have upon hunting. Nevertheless, it seems obvious to me that the Second Amendment is really not directly addressing the issue of hunting. In fact, when the Second Amendment was penned, the liberty to hunt was an accepted way of life, as well as an important part of contemporary culture. Even a theological or religious association with hunting was also a given. Progressive writer Joe Bashant has clearly recognized what many in his own philosophical camp have failed to see. In his book, Deer Hunting with Jesus, Bashant states, The link between Protestant fundamentalism and deer hunting goes back to the colonial times, when the restless Presbyterian Scots, along with the English and German Protestant reformers, pushed across America, developing the unique hunting and farming-based frontier cultures that sustained them over most of America's history. Two hundred years later, they have settled down, but they have not quit hunting, and they have not quit praying. However, it is important to remember that the historical roots of hunting can actually be traced back thousands of years. There are numerous reliefs and documents which show that extensive hunting in ancient Egypt and Assyria was a common pastime. In the Bible, we even find specific hunting regulations dating back some 3,000 years plus. These regulations spelled out the need for the ancient Israelites and others hunting in the promised land to adhere to certain sacred procedures whenever they harvested wildlife that could be eaten. In Leviticus 17.13, the Israelite community was told, Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth. Hundreds of years later, we read that King Solomon's court consumed such things as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowls, First Kings 4.23, on a daily basis. Evidently, there was a noteworthy degree of wild game being hunted in King Solomon's Day, which eventually landed on the royal table. The fact is, hunting predates compounds, bows, aluminum arrows, muskets, and even the U.S. Constitution. Ultimately, the moral freedom for humans to harvest any animal or bird goes back to the days following the Great Flood when the Lord told Noah and his sons, Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything, Genesis 9.3. To claim, hunting is my right as an American. Divorce is hunting from its long-standing history. Clearly, a history of hunting existed long before there was a collection of United States. Indeed, the practice of hunting has a written history which can even be traced back to the first book of the Bible. The practice of hunting has also been widespread. Indeed, hunting has existed and continues to exist in contrasting climates and cultures around the globe. If we say, hunting is my right as an American, what then about the hunter who currently resides in Africa, Australia, or Asia? What is their right to hunt based upon? Certainly, this argument which confines itself to the boundaries of the United States of America fails to address the morality of hunting which regularly takes place in distant lands. According to the Bible, U.S. citizens, and in fact all who hunt regardless of where they live or hunt, have certain responsibilities that pertain directly to their hunting. For example, there is a need to obey game laws as well as various officials who have been placed in positions of authority to ensure that such laws are being kept. Indeed, game laws and law enforcement officials should be viewed as having been established by God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Rome and charged, one must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Of course, there are times when human laws and governments clearly contradict God's moral law. When this happens, we ought to obey God rather than humans. Yet in most cases, we can fully obey the laws of the land and in so doing also be obeying God. Certainly from a biblical perspective, conservation officers should be held in honor and looked upon as God's agents who do things like enforce game laws, restrain lawlessness, and ensure civility. In most cases, conservation officers do exactly that. Therefore, a hunter's submission to such authorities can be considered an act of obedience or, if they disobey, rebellion against what God has instituted. The New Testament book of Romans makes it clear that there is a heavy price to be paid by those who choose to reject such authority. Paul summarized by saying, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Romans chapter 13, verse 2. It's important to remember that rights inevitably come with innate responsibilities and assume limits. Even the right of the people to keep and bear arms has consistently required certain significant limitations. Again, Wayne LaPure is helpful in revealing the need for a continued common-sense application of the Second Amendment. He notes, neither felons, nor children under 18, of course, have the right to own arms any more than they have the right to vote. This restriction is based on solid historical reasons. Can you imagine allowing violent inmates in prisons their right to bear arms? Of course not. In a similar fashion, an individual who states without qualification, hunting is my right as an American, and then fails to take into account the need for personal responsibility also stands in danger of surrendering certain rights or privileges. Hunters have a clear obligation to obey hunting seasons and bag limits, purchase the proper licenses and tags, practice safety, etc. However, when a hunter fails to comply with the law of the land or specific conditions, they also give up that privilege or right. When we come back, we'll be making some concluding remarks about this argument, Hunting is My Right as an American.
2: In Hunting Arguments, biblical responses to a loaded issue, Dr. Tom Rako takes direct aim at some popular, but faulty arguments wielded by hunters and animal rights activists alike. This unique work introduces readers to 10 major arguments which are frequently invoked by their users to either condemn or defend hunting. Hunting arguments include such emotional appeals and false premises as, Thou shalt not kill. I eat everything I kill. I could never kill an animal. Hunting is my right as an American. Jesus was a vegetarian. And would Jesus shoot Bambi? Each chapter concludes with a set of discussion questions, making it a great resource for group studies. This book will help you to become an expert in knowing what the Bible has to say about hunting. To order your copy of Hunting Arguments, go to the Rock Dove Publications website, rockdove.com. Visit rockdove.com today.
0: Well, we've been looking at hunting is my right as an American, this pro-hunting argument. And those who try to use the argument, hunting is my right as an American, failed to take into account the long history and universal practice of hunting. Hunting was taking place in our lands long before there existed a U.S. Constitution. It should also be noted that the Second Amendment does not directly deal with the issue of hunting, It was God who first allowed the harvesting of non-human creatures for food. All hunters, regardless of where they hunt or where they live, carry a grave responsibility before God to be sure to obey game laws and honor the governing authorities who enforce such laws. This is the case whether one lives in Africa or China. Being a U.S. citizen carries certain rights and privileges, but such rights and privileges are always tempered with responsibility. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's program, uh, and thank you for listening to the Rock Dove Publications Quill. I hope that you will join us again next time. We'll be looking at another hunting argument.
1: You've been listening to the Rock Dove Publications Podcast with your host, Dr. Tom Ranko. This program has also been brought to you by The Quilted Arrow, home of intelligent, stylish, field-bred English pointers with bloodline streams from Hall of Fame champion Guardrail. Thank you so much for listening. Now this is Beth Rako inviting you to join us again next time on the Rocked Up Publications Podcast.